As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today is Wednesday, September 1st. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Bill Barnwell. Bill, how you doing, buddy? Uh, in honor of our friend, Katie Baker, Rabbit Rabbit, uh, for September 1st. I'm good. I feel like I was here a year ago doing this with you. You were. You also did, you did the AFC East, I think, as the second division a year ago. I am a creature of habit. But let, that's you could say that about me. Well, I'm sure I did such a good job because I, I'm sure I predicted that Josh Allen was going to be the third best quarterback <laughs> in football heading into the 2020. You don't have to go back and listen. I, 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 my memory is pretty good. I don't think I've gotten stuff wrong before. So, uh, yeah, uh, definitely a very different outlook right now than the one we had heading into last season. Absolutely. I mean, I think so much has changed with this division. I mean, I think the only two teams where there's not a ton of change to talk about are the Buffalo and the Dolphins, and the Dolphins have a different starting quarterback. But the other two teams, I mean, half the roster is turned over, which we'll get into. So we're going to do the AFC East today, and we're going to start with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I think the Patriots are the favorite to win this division. The timing just lined up very nicely because they released Cam Newton yesterday morning, and now we get a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So when you saw the news that Cam was released by the Patriots, what was your first reaction? Okay, so... Who was the guy who the Patriots cut, that the running back the Patriots cut because he missed his alarm? Was it Jonas Gray? Yeah, that sounds right. I think it was Jonas Gray who got cut uh, because he his phone was not charged. When the Cam news <laughs> broke where he was going to have to miss five days of practice, I kind of feel like the writing was on the wall at that point for his future. I mean, really, it was when Mac Jones was drafted in the first place. But I kind of figured they might hold on to Cam until week five, you know, and until after that, that Buccaneers game where they could kind of control the narrative after that game, make Mac Jones your starter. Don't have the pressure from up against Brady. But then once the camp thing broke, he was going to miss time because of, he was unvaccinated because he had was a, uh, it seemed like there was a miscommunication was the way the Patriots put it. It kind of felt like the writing was on the wall. I still thought they might keep him 
I was a little surprised they cut him outright as opposed to maybe trading him or maybe just keeping him as the backup, but uh, it felt like Bill Belichick was ready to move on and did so. I feel like this is just a cleaner way to do it. Yeah. You make Mac Jones the guy. You don't have a former MVP. And I think moving on from a guy like that and just allowing Mac Jones to be the quarterback in the room, it makes sense to me. And when I, I was... I don't what's buy up? that. I, I oh, don't buy that. Oh, I, I absolutely think that's a real thing. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not a real thing, but like by all accounts, Cam was a great teammate. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be a problem. I, that's not what I mean. Maybe he wasn't the best quarterback. You know, you could say on, on the field, he might not have been all that great. I think he was you know, below average in terms of starters or one of the lower end starters in the league last year. But by all accounts, this guy worked super hard, was a great teammate. I, I, I don't think that if he had been the backup, I don't think it, it would have been a distraction to the Patriots. I don't buy that. I don't think it would have been because of Cam doing anything. I'm not sure he would have been whispering behind people's backs or trying to mm-hmm. cause discord. But I do think that a player of that stature in a backup role can be distracting. I think coaches would look at it that way. I think that combined with the vaccination status is why I'm not surprised this was happening. I don't think Cam was going to do anything wrong whether that was necessary, but I wouldn't be surprised that that played into their thinking. And when I was looking at the timeline for all of these guys that weren't Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, right? Those guys were going to start from day one. Mm -hmm. My thought was you always follow the money. And if you look at what's going on in San Francisco, they're paying Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million Mm -hmm. to be on that roster. I think he's going to play for a little while. They, are brought, they brought Andy Dalton in to be the starter in Chicago. He's making $10 million this year. Cam is not making starter money. No. So I was not going to be surprised if they decided, well, what's the reason we'd keep Mac Jones on the bench? If he's almost as good and we spent a first-round pick on him, why wouldn't it make sense for him to just be the week one starter? And then when you combine that with Cam missing time and everything else, you arrive at this conclusion. So it's not that surprising to me. And now the Patriots can move forward with this as their roster, with this as their setup. I don't, at the same time though, like why not flip that the other way? Like you're paying Cam basically per game roster bonuses. Like his base salary was already guaranteed. There's offsets on the base salary, but I think it was only one and a half million dollars. So like if Cam signs somewhere else, you're going to save about a million bucks for a guy who, you know, again, for his faults, if you could just plug Cam in into a role as the backup and maybe as a short yardage guy and a red zone guy, I think he could be a valuable player and certainly worth more than that million dollars you're going to get back in offsets for a guy who, again, is only going to make significant money if he you know, wins a bunch of games as the starter or plays a ton of snaps or, or produces numbers that he's not going to produce as the backup. I, I think I would have given serious thought to keeping him as the backup, finding a role for him you know, to play a few snaps per game. I, I think he could be a useful player in that role. Um, so I, 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 I could see why they did it. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be a big difference in the long run either way, but I could also see a scenario where you could justify that as a reason to keep Cam as opposed to move on from him. Yeah, I just think it shows the level of investment and the fact sure. that they had not made a big investment in him. And again, going back to it, I just think it's a cleaner way to do it and I understand why they did it. So now let's look forward. What are the reasonable expectations for this offense with Mac Jones based on what we've seen from him so far and based on some of the additions that this team made in the offseason? Well, I would imagine the big question for this team is, are the guys who are there going to stay healthy? Because, you know, top to bottom, if you were going to put out a starting 11 for this offense or starting 10, I guess, around Mac Jones, it's a pretty good set of football players. I mean, there's a, a talented line. There Pretty good is the tackle. right qualifier. 
Yeah, like that that is the balance. It could be a very good offensive line, I think I would say, especially yes. on, you know, on the edges with Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown. Um, but I think a lot of guys on this roster either have short histories of success or have injury histories or, you know, ha- have not necessarily played at a superstar level for the vast majority of their careers. And I think you want to believe, okay, well, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels have a great track record of taking players from other places, bringing them to New England and elevating them. But it's also hard to say that is the case when Tom Brady is not part of that process. So with Mac Jones, I mean, this is a guy who was playing with superstars last year at Alabama in his you know real season as the starting quarterback. So I, I think, especially at the beginning of the season, I think this is going to be a pretty simple offense. I think you're going to see a lot of RPOs, a lot of play action, a lot of simple concepts. And I think they're going to encourage Mac Jones, play it safe. Uh, we have faith in our defense. Don't be, you know, don't blow the game. Kind of very similar to what we saw from that Tom Brady offense, maybe in not, not similar to what we saw in terms of the actual scheme, but in terms of what they're asking Mac Jones to do, their role and their more, success yeah. with a more modern mix of, you know, more RPOs, heavier dose of play action, stuff like that. That wasn't necessarily the case or wasn't in vogue 20 years ago with a guy who I think, you know, they trust at least more than you would trust most rookies as a processor. When they made all those signings and you just thought about those pieces together, and again, independent of the offensive line, I think that group has a chance mm-hmm. to be really good. I think their running game has a chance to be really good. But when you look at the two tight ends, Bourne, mm-hmm. Aguilar, and then Jacoby Myers, like those are your five starting pass catchers more or less. That's a group that you can work with, but it's a low ceiling group. It always was from the start, and that typically is how it works with free agency. But I think their hope is, can we go from an offense that ranked 27th in passing DVOA to an offense ranked 14th? And I do think with pretty good quarterback play, if he can hit the ground running, this group can do that. That's about where they would land, in my opinion. So here's what I think you have to separate, especially from someone like me who covers the game and thinks a lot about the money when it comes to contracts and how uh, teams are built. A lot of these contracts are not good. The Nelson Aguilar deal no. is awful. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 contracts for Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are paying them like their top five, top six tight ends, and those guys have not been top five, top six tight ends at any point during their pro careers. But they are significant upgrades on the guys the Patriots had a year ago. This is going to be a much more talented offense than what the Patriots had on the field week after week during the 2020 season, independent of the quarterback position. And I think to me. You know, I guess what I want to ask you, Maze, is, you know, uh, if you look at this roster, you would figure the ideal for the Patriots this year is going to be 12 personnel. It's going to be Smith and Henry at tight end. It's going to be probably it's going to be Aguilar and either Myers or Bourne at receiver. And then one of the running backs, Damian Harris, James White, uh, Ramon J. Stevenson, those guys being in the mix at running back. Now, Hunter Henry is already injured and has a track record of getting hurt. How, I I understand they are going to start in 12 personnel. Do you think, given the likely outcomes for this team, that they're going to be able to stay in 12 personnel with their core guys for the vast majority of the season? Or do you think that they almost, to some extent, sign Smith and Henry just to have some leverage in case one of those guys gets hurt? I would assume they wanted to live in more 12 personnel as a base offense based on what they paid those guys. And then I've, from what I've read in camp, they haven't used nearly as much 21 or fullback-based personnel. 
like they have in the past. So that transition made sense to me. If you lose one of those guys, I do think the three starting receivers make sense together. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said that before last year, but Nelson Aguilar had the sixth deepest average depth of target in the league last season, yes. <laughs> which is so weird considering the type of player he was in Philadelphia. But if he's your outside the numbers vertical stretch guy, and then you have Myers as a slot option, and then Bourne plays the exact role he plays in San Francisco. So even if they aren't in 12 and then go to 11 on like third down, that's where Bourne lived. They lit- In San Francisco, he was their designated third down and red zone contested catch receiver. And I think he could do the exact same thing here. So the pieces together make sense to me. Again, it's just a very, I don't know, very, it's a low ceiling group no matter how you distribute it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... You don't think that Bourne is going to take up snaps in the slot uh, relative to Myers? No, I think Myers is, from all accounts, he's been their best receiver in camp. And I think that right. he's better in that role. Right. Bourne played almost 39% of the snaps in the slot last year. Now, I, I, I think that Jacoby Myers was great last year and deserves to have the opportunity to play out of the slot. But I do think that the fact that the Patriots went out and gave Bourne a significant deal makes me think that he would maybe play ahead of him, at least given the contract. Maybe Myers has done so well this year in training camp that the Patriots are going to change their mind or they'll change their mind over the course of the season. But I do think that um, that'll be something to watch in terms of how much faith they have in Bourne. And whether Aguilar, a guy who's, like you said, never been that guy before as a pro, can keep up what he did with the Raiders a year ago. Um, Because if he's not a viable downfield threat, if he's not a field stretcher, with any sort of reliability. <laughs> then this team is I, out of field stretchers. I, I don't know who else that guy's going to be. Like, I hope hope Matthew Slater uh, could take a few snaps <laughs> at wide receiver because I don't think Gunnar Olszewski is going to be that guy. Who do you think is the most important offensive piece they signed this offseason? Ooh. I, I'm going to say Johnny Smith. I could, you could have five different answers, and I would yeah. understand the case for each of them. I'm going to say Johnny. Because I think I that's think, correct. I, I, I think... I, wrote about, I talked about this a little bit when uh, when the Patriots signed Cam last year. What I felt like they missed when Rob Gronkowski retired is that sort of plausible deniability before the snap uh, in terms of having a player who creates a mismatch for you regardless of how the defense decides the matchup. You with, with Gronk, you had the ability to spread the field and attack a weak link at linebacker or to come out with a a small group come out in 11 personnel or 10 per or, or sorry yeah 11 personnel and then have Gronk maul somebody at the line of scrimmage <laughs> Johnny Smith is not Rob Gronkowski to be clear but I think they signed Johnny Smith hoping he can be that guy not only as a blocker which he again he is not Rob Gronkowski as a blocker please don't quote me as saying that but they're hoping he's going to be a viable blocker and then also this is a guy who Bill Belichick has said is the best tight end in the league after the catch. In a league where I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick has seen George Kittle and seen Travis Kelsey. Bill Belichick <laughs> said that about Johnny Smith. So um, I want to see how this offense unlocks what he can do after the catch. So again, I don't think he's going to be Rob Gronkowski, but I think he is important in that way, in the same way that Gronkowski was to those Patriots offenses in, in the final years under Brady. The after the catch thing is exactly why I think he's so important because it, for a team that I believe is going to not struggle to find them, but is going to be searching out explosive plays, he's mm-hmm. somebody that you could flip the ball out to and find an explosive play. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't really have anyone else like that on this roster. And I think that's why he's so important. The Titans did that all the time. I mean, if you look at the yards after catch numbers, they were more ridiculous in 2019 than they were last year. I think just the overall Titans offensive approach changed last year. So there weren't as many yak opportunities for him or A.J. Brown. But he's shown that he can do it. You send him on a little slice back the other way and flip him the ball in the flat, he can turn that into a 25-yard gain. And as a tight end, that's rare. And I think that's really important when you consider the complexion of their skill position players and how it's assembled. Mm-hmm. So where do, what do you think is the ceiling for them offensively? Not even just the ceiling. What do you think is like the upper 25% of outcomes? Hmm. I would say league average. You know, I, I don't think there is a top 10 offense in here. Maybe I, I think that's hard to find. Maybe if Jones is just great overnight, which, hey, I mean, everybody who is taking a victory lap on Twitter on Tuesday, I mean, there are the people coming out saying, hey, Mac Jones can be, uh, you know, a, a superstar quarterback quickly. People thought he had that upside in him. Maybe he does. I, I don't know. I have not seen that personally, but there are a lot of people who are smarter than me um, covering the NFL. But to me, I think you're looking for competence, right? Like you're looking for an offense that uh, is going to hold on to the football, an offense that is going to make things easy for themselves. I feel like the Patriots offense with Cam last year, there were times where they looked great. That Seahawks game, they looked really good on offense, but there were also a lot of stretches where they just could not get out of their own way. They just made dumb mistakes. They were sloppy. Um, they just blew drives. And I feel like they're hoping to go in the opposite direction this year, even if they don't have significant significant upside i think that it's hard to find a top 10 ceiling for me i think that's maybe like a 95th percentile outcome but to me i i think in that sort of 12 to 16 range i think that's what they're hoping for and i don't think it's out of the question they get there for me it's can the passing game lighten things up a little bit for you in the box Damian Harris faced eight or more guys in the box last year on 39.4% of his carries. It was the third highest mark in the entire league. Mm-hmm. If your passing game is just a little bit more dangerous, can that help your running game? Because I believe that with Harris, with that offensive line, they have the chance to just roll over people if they're playing into somewhat more favorable boxes. That, to mm-hmm. me, is the most important part of this entire equation. Do you think Damian Harris can be like a top eight fantasy running back this year i think it's tough without the the workload if he's not going to catch more than 10 passes over the course of the season i think that becomes difficult and we'll see how much james white chews into that yeah can he get that workload as a rusher you think oh i think it's what rushing workload is going to be ridiculous <laughs> but in order to have a top eight fantasy season only carrying the ball you need nick chubb efficiency and i don't that's hard for anyone to pull off that's not a superhuman like nick chubb uh i mean the garrett blunt Pulled it off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or you can have 15 rushing touchdowns. With, yeah. Without Cam Newton there, maybe that now is in the realm of possibilities. That's what I'm saying. You know, like, I feel like that is not like that was a team that, again, that was with Tom Brady, but they had an offense that was able to pull that off. And I think potentially, if everything goes right, this is an offensive line that could be as dominant as some of those offensive lines were at their best under Brady. I think that's totally fair. And if we're looking at just pure value as somebody who was scrounging around in the running back dead zone during his draft last week, Damian Harris at his price is a worthwhile bet. I will tell you guys that right now. So the reason I asked about the ceiling on offense is Mm -hmm. I think the defense has a chance to be really, really good. Unfortunate news about Stephon Gilmore today. He's going to start the season on the pop (laughs) list. So he's going to miss the first six games. But 
I think the additions they made this offseason, if you just look at the pure amount of talent they have up front, it is loaded with guys. That is my first impression when I look at their depth chart. What are your impressions of their defense and just what sort of ceiling they might have? I love that you like with, they're great. Also, by the way, their best player is out for the first six weeks of the I year. I know that's unfortunate, unfortunate, but they do have other players back there. <laughs> you see, like, I, I think they don't have a replacement for Stefan Gilmore, though. Like, no, I think they don't. They don't. I, I, I think that changes the way what do you, you think have they to do. I was defense. actually going to ask you about that. I, I would guess they probably play a little more zone. Like, I, I think you have to feel, especially early in the season, when you're kind of figuring out your depth chart at corner where you have guys coming in who haven't played there before, um, where you have someone like, you know, I, I, I'm assuming Jalen Mills is going to play safety, but um, that I think he could play in the slot for them with those other two guys outside, right? Wouldn't that make sense? I, I wouldn't be shocked if he played both. I wouldn't be shocked if he played both those spots. Um, but I feel like you're sort of figuring out your cornerback depth chart after, you know, J.C. Jackson. And I have faith that Bill Belichick will figure it out. He's pretty good at this stuff. But I do think you can't count on having you know, one through three excellent cornerback play the way you did several years ago. So I don't think they have that sort of ceiling to me the way they had a couple of years ago. I don't think they're going to have the crazy interception rate they had in 2019. Now, that defense by the numbers was one of the best defenses against the pass in the history of the National Football League. So they don't have to be that good to justify being sort of in the ballpark that you're talking about. I think this is going to be a very sound and smart defense. I think you're going to see games where they just overpower teams because they're so great at communicating and they're so great at uh, being in the right place and taking advantage of weaknesses from the other team. You're going to see games like that Jets game from a couple of years ago where just the opposing quarterback is a, uh, you know, on the verge of tears on the sideline. But I don't think they have, to me, like top three upside unless Number one, they develop a excellent second cornerback besides J.C. Jackson. Or number two, Gilmore comes back and he's the best defensive player in football, which he was not last year. Yeah, missing him for that chunk of the season. I think the ceiling does lower a little bit, but I do oh. think that they they could be a top 10 team. Also, defense. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So Stefan Gilmore is missing the first six weeks of the season. He was holding it. He was not holding in, I guess, in camp, wanted a pay raise. He had quad surgery at the end of the season in 2020. Do you think that this is Bill Belichick's way of giving him a raise by having him take the first six weeks of the year off? Or do <laughs> Some you galaxy the, brain shit. Yeah. Or do, well, it's, the, <laughs> it's the freaking Patriots, dude. Like, if you're ever going to pull out some galaxy brain stuff, this is the time to do it. No. Uh, I I have not thought that much about it. I'll, I'll I will get back to you. How about okay. that? I'll take some time after we're done with this, and I'll get back okay. to you about whether or not that's Bill Belichick's plan. Okay. I will say, even if we have questions about the corners, which totally fair questions. Yep. If they manage to piece together a secondary where maybe Kyle Duggar plays more safety and Mills plays in the slot, and you still have McCordy in the other two corners, I think that that group can be serviceable enough with what they have up front. Mm-hmm. The depth and versatility, and just pure badassery they have in their front seven is going to be miserable to play against For because sure. when they when they lined up on early downs in that preseason game against the giants there are three interior linemen were devon Godshaw, lawrence guy and dietrich wise and mm-hmm. they had matt judon as one of the edge guys in base they had judon and dante hightower on the edges with uh, Jawan bentley as the single linebacker and then those mm-hmm. three guys on the interior in passing situations they took Godshaw and I want to say Wise out 
and they put Barmore and Uche in with Judon on the other side. It's going to be awful to have to play against this team because they're going to throw so many different combinations at you and every single one of those guys within those combinations is like a 290 pound ass kicker yeah and you haven't even mentioned chase vinovich who was like third in the nfl in hurries last year it's ridiculous how many bodies they can throw at this problem (laughs) they're great up front they're versatile they can they at least right now before you know injuries hit the front seven, which will happen inevitably because everyone gets hurt. Like they have, they have the the variety of players to attack any situation. Like, yes. and and I think that's underrated. Like I don't think they have that sort of outside of maybe Dante Hightower when he's playing at his peak. Like they don't have that sort of superstar. Like you know, uh, just every down uncontrollable force like is going to wreck the opposing offense kind of player but I feel like they have pieces that can fit into every possible situation. And the guy who's deciding who to use in a particular down and distance is pretty good at this stuff. Yeah, he's done some de- done some decent damage in the past. But just the idea of, all right, now on one play, we're going to have Van Noy coming off the edge, and the next play, we're going to have Uche coming off the edge. And then it, oh, so many different body types. And as an offensive lineman, your head is just going to be spinning so often during these games, which I'm really excited to watch what it looks like in practice. All right, mm-hmm. a couple things I want to hit before we move on. Who is the one guy on this team that you just cannot wait to watch this season? Hmm. That's a good question. One guy. I I, I picked Johnny. And I already talked about Johnny. So is that cheating if I pick John? I, I would no, say you could pick John again. I would say either Johnny or or Chase Vinovich, who again seems buried. I don't know if Phil Belichick likes Chase Vinovich, but he's good at football. And <laughs> like 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 there's a chance that he there's a chance that he has like a 12 sack season that I don't think anybody is anticipating. I think the underlying numbers for him are really impressive. I don't know if he's going to be able to play enough to get a 12 sack season, but he might have like the highest sack rate in the entire league based on the snaps he's on the field. I had Michael and Wenu as the guy I just cannot wait to watch. He was fantastic last year playing multiple positions. He's going to be locked in as one of their guards this year. This team just finding offensive linemen in rounds four through six that they somehow turn into real guys is a tried and true thing for them. He was awesome last season. I'm excited to see what he looks like this year. And Uche is a close second for me. I just, again, he's very different than the other players they have in their front and the dynamic that he gives them. He looked really good in that Giants game. So those are probably the two guys. Other question, who do you think is the biggest X factor on this team? Just somebody that you feel like is integral to their success or failure on either side of the ball. I just realized I was pronouncing Chase Winovich's name, like Bill Vinovich, the referee. I apologize to the Winovich family. Uh, too many Inoviches in the NFL <laughs> right now for me. Um, I think the X factor is, to me is pretty clear, and it's Isaiah Wynn, um, a guy who, I mean, if you watch his tape, he's awesome. Like, he's a really talented left tackle, but he's played 18 games in three years. Um, you know, he has not been able to come close to finishing a full season as a pro, and I guess the Patriots could theoretically move Trent Brown to left tackle if they had to. Um, I don't think they want to. I think they. Yeah, you don't want to start doing that. Yeah, I mean, it worked out okay last time they had to do it, but you want to keep your tackles in the same spots. And I think Isaiah Wynn, I mean, a a guy who is in line for a big extension, if he can finally stay healthy and put together that full, you know, I guess now 17-game season. But um, if Isaiah Wynn is healthy, this is like a top six set of tackles to me when those guys are on the field or they're playing the way they did you know, over the past couple of years, or Trent Brown when he was playing in New England and win over the past couple of years in New England. If one gets hurt, suddenly 
that line looks a lot weaker and there's parts moving around. And I don't know if they're going to be as effective as they would be um, with those two stars playing in those two spots. That's a good one. I, I had John Smith. We've talked about it. I mean, last year he ran 319 routes, which was 25th among tight ends. He ran 10 fewer routes than Chris Herndon. I know that the Pats are going to be a run-heavy team in the same way the Titans were, but if his place in the pecking order of offensive weapons changes, what do we get out of him? I think that's the big question, and I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what he looks like as, I don't know, the 1A option within a passing offense because I do think he's really talented. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Let's get to team number two here, the Buffalo Bills. Barnwell, you wrote last week that the Bills are going to be bad this year. Defend your take. I, I thought you were going to do Chris Herndon as a transition to the Jets after he was <laughs> traded, but uh, that's fine. I will cover the Bills first. The Bills are going to be good. Do not get mad at me. I mean, you're going to be mad at me anyway, but they're going to be fine. They're going to be totally good. To me, they are an 11-12 win football team, but... In a 17-game season, you have to go 14-3 and to top your 13-3 and record from a year ago. And the Bills, I, I mean, I think they're going to be fine, but they were a team that they didn't really blow people out last year until the very end of this season. They were tied for the most, I think, the most wins by 8 to 10 points in the history of the National Football League. It wasn't really until that three-game stretch to end the year against the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Dolphins that they were blowing teams out. And that was with, you know, a lot of things going right. That was with Josh Allen playing like a superstar, with that offense clicking on all cylinders for the vast majority of the season, with Stephon Diggs. I know he was playing through an injury, but Stephon Diggs on the field for all 16 games. Um you know, I think the Bills could be better in some places this year. And I think the offense is going to be very good again after it was a year ago. But, you know, they're playing a tougher schedule. I believe they're playing a tougher schedule, at least. Um, they're going to have a little less luck in the close games than they had a year ago, most likely. And there's the possibility that something goes horribly wrong. That Allen gets hurt. That Diggs gets hurt. That Deion Dawkins gets hurt. Um, that Tredavious White gets hurt. Um 
you know, you, you can't count on that heading into a season, but there's always that risk heading into the year. So to me, I think the Bills were, I think by the numbers, their point differential was a, a 10.6 win team. To me, I think that's probably where they end up this year, where they end up winning 11, 12 games after you account for the extra game this year. Um, And I think that's totally fine. I don't think that's an insult. I don't think that is uh, embarrassing. I don't think that Sean McDermott should be fired if that happens. (laughs) I just think that it's hard to win 14 games in an NFL season. What do you make of Josh Allen's 2021? Do you think that he's going to regress in some areas? Do you think that he's going to get even better. It's been hard for me to pin down because I think based on what we've seen from the history of the position and the leaps he's taken, it would make sense for him to just take even a marginal step back in some areas this year where he's merely a very good quarterback rather than one of the best three quarterbacks in the league. And if you look at some of the underlying numbers, he was really good under pressure last year, right? Things that aren't necessarily sticky. But then I watch him play, and it's like, I don't know, man. This guy might just be a supernova. He might just be the best player in the league this year. I I just don't know where I fall on it. Okay. So let me me play both sides here. Sounds good. I always do. So On one side, Josh Allen, by the numbers, after you account for the era in which he plays, Josh Allen just made the single greatest leap in the history of the National Football League. In terms of completion percentage, nobody, every quarterback you've ever seen has not improved more from year to year <laughs> than Josh Allen did in completion percentage. And the, when you look at the guys who are close, even though it's superstars, even though it's like John Elway and I think Aaron Rodgers might be one of the guys or Joe Montana, like it, it's, it's, you know, Hall of Fame superstar caliber comps, they all took a step backwards the following year. At the same time, I just watched Josh Allen go from being like a guy who was barely playable to a guy who was clearly holding back to the bills to a guy who was like an absolute superstar. (laughs) Like, like there's no way I can sit here and say, okay, this is off the table for Josh Allen. It's crazy to think Josh Allen could improve because I was pretty confident. Josh Allen was like maybe a little better than Mitch Trubisky. And Josh Allen was a little worse than Patrick Mahomes last year. Like he was awesome. I mean, everything that he struggled with in his first two seasons was fixed. His accuracy was fixed. His footwork was fixed. His decision-making was fixed. And not just fixed, not that he was okay at it. He was great. He was making smart decisions. His footwork was impeccable for the vast majority of the season. He was incredibly accurate as a quarterback. And all the positive things from him at the beginning of his career, like his ability as a runner, his ability as a scrambler, his leadership, all that stuff stuck around. It wasn't like he suddenly got worse at that stuff too. So I would say that, yes, typically quarterbacks in Josh Allen's situation who make those sort of improvements do take a step backwards the following year. It doesn't mean they suck. doesn't mean that their careers are over. But typically it's hard to make that sort of stride and then keep it up. But I don't think there's a quarterback in modern league history who has improved as much as Josh Allen has over his first three seasons. So I don't think you can rule anything out for year four. When you look at just the pure numbers, especially the rate stats, the completion percentage is a perfect example. In that situation, your first thought would be, well, how did they help him? You know, is it a lot of heavy play action and a lot of defined throws? And they use play action a ton. They use it one of the highest rates in the league. Mm -hmm. But they also threw the ball one of the highest rates in the league. This was not a quarterback-friendly offense in the sense that he was just a cog in the machine. They just gave him the offense. (laughs) He was front and center in all of this. 
And I think that's the coolest part about it is that he thrived while being the most important piece by far in what they were doing. And there are aspects to what he did last year that I think such shows such tangible growth. I love this from Shields' playbook that he did for The Athletic. Allen was third in the league in EPA per play against the Blitz last year after ranking 25th in 2019. And you could see that stuff. That's one area where the numbers and the eye test completely line up. His handling of pressure and protections and just the overall command of everything they're doing on offense is so obvious. And the chance to just build on that even more and conversations I had when I was there, they're extremely confident that's what's happening. I mean, he's just even more comfortable and confident and you could just see it even in that little glimpse we saw of him in the preseason. And I'm, I'm totally with you. I think based on every precedent we've ever seen, we would expect him to take a step back. But this guy might just be different, man. I, I, part of me does really believe that. Okay. But also at the same time, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but I just need to throw this out there so my brain stops firing. <laughs> this was the first time he was an above-average quarterback since high I know. school. L- like, I know. I know. I Listen, that is, chirping in, that is chirping in the back of my mind, too. But at the same time, you just watch him play, and I don't know. I, I just can't ignore the fact that he just is that talented and might be that good and has the supporting cast around him to allow this to continue happening. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, I've been wrong a lot of times about the NFL. This is like one of the more fun ones to be wrong about. Like totally. watching this watching this dude just like annihilate people. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, that that I didn't think that was going to happen. And then it happened like 15 times in a row. It was awesome. It was so much that fun. That throw he made against watch. the Packers last week is just like a missile shot mm-hmm. that no one else can make. And it's been fun talking to coaches about where you steal ideas from. And I was actually talking to Joe Lombardi about Justin Herbert and how they're building the offense around him. You can read about it tomorrow on The Athletic. And he was telling me that they were watching some of the stuff that the Bills were doing because their arm talent is really similar. But there are only so many places you can look for that kind of stuff. There are only so many quarterbacks literally on earth that can make those sorts of throws. And when you combine that ability with total command of what they're doing offensively, you get what Josh Allen is right now. So... Mm -hmm. We are bullish on Josh Allen still being very good. How do you feel about his supporting cast offensively and what they've done with it? Because for the most part, this team committed to the group they had last year. John Mm -hmm. Feliciano and Darrell Williams are no longer stopgap starters. There are two guys that they've invested in now. The only real change is Emmanuel Sanders. That's it. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable with that sort of continuity and them betting on the formula that they had last season? I mean, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt, no? I think so, like, too. Yeah. They do, but I also, I'm not thrilled. Like, I think, I, I can't fault them for what they did. There's no move outside of maybe not adding a tight end where I'd sit here and say, well, they shouldn't have done that. But, like, let's imagine, and I don't want this to happen, but let's say Stefan Diggs gets hurt week one and he's out for two months. This offense does not look very good. And I understand that a lot of teams, if you take out their number one wide receiver, would not look as good. But I think there's concerns about the wide receiver core after Stefan Diggs. Now, I, Cole Beasley was very good last year. I don't think I need to get too far into what's going on with Cole Beasley to suggest that maybe he might not be as available or as effective in 2021. Emmanuel Sanders, a guy who I think is fine but is not the guy he was several years ago in his mid-30s could also fall off a cliff. Gabriel Davis, a guy who looked uh, very promising last year, but 
Is he ready to be a number two receiver in the NFL? Because he might have to be that guy this upcoming season. Tight end is a mess. And they just cut Jacob Hollister, who was kind of the, okay, well, at least they added one guy. They did not add much, and Jacob Hollister got cut. And I think bring up Feliciano and Williams, I think Feliciano's been very impressive during his time in Buffalo, uh, but a guy who got hurt last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Darren Williams started the year hurt last year, I think. Right. And then yeah. came back as the season went on. Was it a bicep, I want to say, or a peck maybe, um, but came back during the second half of the season. And then Daryl Williams, a guy who has a significant injury history, a guy who was available basically for free or close to free last year and was healthy and played well at right tackle. Um, you know, if he's that guy again, great, but there's a chance he's not that guy. And I think one of the places that the Bills have been forced to cut back is their offensive line depth. One of the places where they've had to spend less money just because they have been, you know, they've given Josh Allen a huge raise. They've had to pay Tredavious White and Matt Milano and uh, other guys on this roster. One of the places they've had to cut back is their offensive line depth. And I, I don't think they have as many pieces they can feel comfortable falling back on um, if, say, Williams gets hurt or Mitch Morse gets hurt or Feliciano gets hurt or, you know, they have a guy in Cody Ford who ha- wasn't really a great tackle, is now being moved into guard has had his own, I believe, injury history. Um, You know, I I feel like that's the place where I get more concerned. Like, I I think that on paper they look great, but I don't think it takes a lot to see things sort of crumble. And I think it's not like they're going to suddenly collapse if they lose their right tackle. But I do think the idea in our head of what this offense is going to look like could look very different if they do lose a couple of these pieces pretty quickly. Yeah, having the tackles be healthy for I think all of last year, at they least were, most yeah. of it. Yeah, that's a big part of it. They, I mean, they were mi- middle of the road and adjusting games lost on the offensive line, but that was all in the interior. And yeah. I think even this year, they're pretty well insulated from interior injuries just because, let's say Morse gets hurt again. You can move Feliciano to center and then Ike Bucker slides in as your other guard. So at least you have guys that are familiar. We've seen them in this offense before. Tackles, it's a dicier situation. You know, you drafted those very tall guys in like the third round. We'll see how quickly they can come along. I think the Sanders signing makes sense for this reason. The reason they wanted a guy like that is because John Brown can only do one thing. Sanders has inside outside versatility. And the thought is maybe we can have more interchangeable pieces if he's in there. And if they were to lose digs, now, at least you can slide Sanders in as somebody who can play inside and just, he's more of a movable piece than a guy like John Brown would have been. I think the tight end question, do we see this team lean even more into four receiver sets than they did the last year? I think they used them at the second highest clip in the league last season after Arizona. Does that increase even more because you want to see Gabe Davis take a step, all of that? I think that the changes with this offense are going to be marginal. It's just going to be little tiny tweaks, but those are the type of little tiny tweaks I'm interested in. Yeah. I mean, I think if everyone's healthy, I think their best personnel grouping is probably... 10 personnel. Do you agree with that? Probably. Yeah. Do you think, are you worried about their, their ability to run the ball? Does that concern you at all? Uh, I mean, number one, Allen is a legit threat in short yardage in his own right. I think that Brian Dable has been very creative when it comes to uh, getting good looks for Allen in short yardage on, on third and one or two and fourth and one or two. And I think that um, that's not going to change. And I like, I'm a little concerned, but I I don't think that's going to be the big difference maker for them. Like maybe it'll come down to, you know, three games where they can't get fourth and one. Like that's not, I guess, not out of the realm of possibility. But 
I, I this is a good team that wants to throw the ball, right? Like they're one of the most pass happy teams, in and they the are NFL. unrepentant about that, by the way. And they and they should they shouldn't be their their best player is their quarterback. Like play to your team's strengths, whatever your team's strengths are, and this is a team that should be throwing the ball a ton. So I and also by the way. They might be better running the ball this year. Like you said, they had a ton of injuries on the interior last season. If they can keep Feliciano, Morris, and Ford healthy, and Ford is a good guard um, this season, like they could be better running the football. I, I don't think we can rule that out either. Uh, we've talked about in the show a little bit. They were dead last in the NFL in rushing EPA in the red zone last season, and they were pretty much league average between the 20s. So if they can do a few different things when they get down near the goal line, to alleviate some of that, whether it's more Allen runs, not trying to slam their head against the wall by running the ball down there. Again, just tiny little turns of the dial from what we saw from them a year ago. Let's go to the defense. Mm -hmm. Did they attack this offseason defensively in the way that you would have wanted them to in terms of where they spent their resources? Mm -hmm. I am inclined to say no. But again... You're worried about the second corner spot. I'm worried about the second corner spot. But again, yeah. Brandon Bean deserves the benefit of the doubt. He's better at this than I am. So I'm not going to fault him for what he decided to do because I think that they had an, they had a different plan than I would have had, and they executed that plan pretty well. Um, I will say that wasn't the plan. They were yeah. not planning to go into the draft and come away with two edge rushers in the first two rounds. They just had okay. such a high grade on Basham that they felt like they had to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If you have the chance to draft a player whose name is Boogie Basham, you should take it. <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> you got to take that shot. I mean, just in terms of you're going to feel good about writing that name down on your roster every week. Um, no, I mean, like, this is a team that, after drafting those two guys, has invested a ton on the edge over the past few years. They signed Mario Addison. They draft AJ Epinesa in the second round last year, and now Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham this year. Um, you're getting Starlo to Lele back on the interior. You have, you're hoping, I guess, that Ed Oliver takes that leap, which he has not taken yet on the it's interior. It's one of my things with this team, man. It just, it, the one thing I think holding them back on defense the last couple of years is that they just don't have superstars. The guys they drafted in the first round that you really hoped would have taken that huge, huge step, like guys like Edmonds, guys like Oliver, they just haven't yet. And I do think that's one of the things that's kind of hanging over this defense. There's so many people yelling at you about Tredavious White right now, Maze. Oh, I, I, Tredavious White absolutely is one of those guys. But I think the okay. other guys that they drafted in the first sure. round just haven't gotten there. Tredavious White is a really good player. Tredavious White is a superstar cornerback. I, absolutely. I think he's a, a top five guy in the NFL to me. I think that's totally fair. And I actually think I've had a lot of conversations with people in the last month or so just about quarters and the amount of quarters teams are playing in the NFL and how you would attack on early downs. And one of the things that keeps coming up is you have to have guys that can win on the outside because more or less turns into man out there. And mm -hmm. that's what Tredavious White gives you. He gives you somebody that is one of the best quarters corners in the league right now in a team that plays it at a really high clip. He fits what mm -hmm. they do extremely well. But outside of him, Ed Oliver was a top 10 pick. They traded up in the first round to go get Tremaine Edmonds. And if you look at his physical profile, it's absolutely ridiculous. And they just haven't turned into true difference makers at those spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but tr tr Tremaine Edmonds is also like 23. It could happen. It, it could happen like, for both of them this year. But it has not happened to this point. I agree. 
But I, I, given how effective this team has been at developing players and bringing guys from outside the organization and getting more out of them than other teams did, like I'm not ruling out that one of those guys takes a, a leap this year and is a better player than they have been in the years past. I think that even if Oliver doesn't take that leap, this front is going to be a real pain in the ass. I mean, Epinesa sure. looks really good. You, Russo's length is absolutely ridiculous. And I think when they watch that Super Bowl, I think I've said this before, when they watched that Super Bowl and they saw what that length did with a guy like JPP and just how you can affect the pocket, mm-hmm. a player like that felt attractive to them. And that's exactly what Rousseau gives them. So you have Rousseau, Epinesa, F.A. Obata's looked incredible during the preseason. Oh, and he can okay. play inside or I mean, just okay. that, there. I think he is a functional piece for them in, in a situational the, pass rush role. This is the ultimate test of Panthers. Bills magic. Like the Bills can take any player <laughs> off the Panthers roster and turn him into a superstar. Here's the point it. I'm trying to make. It's like a six sack guy. They have a lot of guys that they can rotate in and out of those spots. There are mm. certain packages on third down. They're going to have options. And they just didn't have that last year. Their pass rush wore down. The big question is, are they going to have enough on the back end? And apparently Levi Wallace has looked pretty good throughout camp as their number two corner and has kind of won that job fairly convincingly. But is that enough? Is that and, you know, Teron Johnson and Saran Neal and their lack of safety depth, is that going to come back to bite them? I think that is absolutely the biggest question about this team heading into the season, especially on defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, if everyone stays healthy, I think they're fine. Like, I think Levi Wallace is a average, below average number two corner, but I think he's not going to ruin your day. Like, I don't think he's going to um, absolutely destroy your football team if he's on the lineup week after week. But if one of the safeties gets hurt and their guys were getting up there at this point of their careers, there's not really a plan B there at safety. If Tredavious White were to get injured, boy, that is an ugly looking group of cornerbacks. Um, you know, you're hoping that Dane Jackson maybe um, can be a guy who pushes Wallace. I know he didn't win the job in camp this year, but um, if he can be a guy who pushes Wallace, then maybe he's a guy you trust for snaps. But this is a team that I think I wouldn't be shocked in the weeks to come before or in the week to come before the season begins, they should be looking for a veteran cornerback. Like I know last year they brought on Josh Norman. It wasn't really like it wasn't a net positive, wasn't that negative. He was a guy, but he was hurt at the same time all yeah. those other guys were hurt, like in the first month of the season. Right. Like I, I think they should be hoping to bring in somebody who gets cut over the next few days just to give them another veteran body there. Because I think you're looking at a lot of late run picks. And again, they're they're Great at development. I don't think that all these guys are useless, but I would want to have another option there if I were the Bills. You don't have faith in Rashad Wild Goose, their six-round pick, to come in <laughs> if he needs to? I just wanted to say Rashad Wild Goose. R- Rashad Wild Goose feels like the name of a store you would buy like expensive greeting cards at at the mall. Or expensive granola, or one or the other. Sure. Really, really organic, high-end organic food. I th- I'm curious to see what the defense ends up looking like. Because when those guys were hurt, like we mentioned, they were a bottom-tier defense. They were 23rd in EPA per play last year over the first half of the season. They were 6th over the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. When they got Milano back, when they got Trey White back, when they got Levi Wallace back. So if that front can look better, and that can be a deeper group, maybe they blitz a little bit less... Just how those pieces fit together is going to be something worth watching. All right. Who is the one guy on the Bills that you cannot wait to watch in 2021? I mean, is it is it fair to say Josh? That's like, totally fine. That's acceptable. I, actually, actually, can I can I pick Mitch? 
I don't I don't want I don't want Josh Allen to get hurt. I want Mitch Trubisky to get time in blowouts. I I want to see what happens because like I mean let's be honest the Bills turned Josh Allen from a guy who was a mess to a guy who was an absolute superstar. I don't think they can just do that with Mitch Trubisky, but like we know Mitch when he's hot, when he's playing, when he's confident, when he feels you know like he's knows what he's seeing up front. We know he's an athlete. We know he can make throws. Like I don't think there's going to be a quarterback controversy, but I do want to see like 50 Mitch Trubisky pass attempts just to see if he looks dramatically better with the Bills. If he gets over 50 attempts and he averages more than seven and a half yards per attempt on those attempts, Brian Dable instantly becomes the coach of the Chicago Bears. Like in week seven, he just moves to Chicago and he just takes over. That's the rule. You mean 2022 Saints starting quarterback, Mitch Trubisky? (laughs) My guy is Greg Rousseau. I I just think a guy with that physical profile and and what he could potentially give them as a pocket pusher and just somebody who wrecks shit. I'm excited to watch that. Who, in your mind, is the biggest X factor on this team? I went actually with Rousseau um, because I think... That's a good one. Jerry Hughes is good, and Mario Addison, I think, was disappointing last year, but the guy who has been good as a pass rusher in years past with the Panthers, but... If he wasn't a profoundly good dude that had a contract that was hard to trade, it feels like he yeah. might be the odd man out here. Right, exactly. And maybe I'd pick Epidesa as the X Factor because maybe he's been so good in camp that maybe he gets snaps ahead of Rousseau when they're looking for that, um, just that first guy off the bench. But I, I just think throw that them all out there. Six edge rusher packages. There, I mean, I'm I, I'm a Giants fan base. Like that, that <laughs> one of the Giants two Super Bowls. So I wouldn't rule that out. I'm going with Wallace. We, we talked yeah. about that second cornerback spot. It, it's the one place on that defense that just is a blinking light that I can't stop looking at. And if he can play well this year, I think they could be really good. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, let's get to the Miami Dolphins. Just talking about the big questions about all of these teams. With the Dolphins, it's impossible to ignore. It's yes. what they have in Tua and how they can get the most out of him in year two. Oh, it wasn't the center situation? <laughs> the, 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 a Michael Dieter, Matt Skura battle? It's over. It's you, you didn't see the smoke it was coming out of Dolphins camp. I, it was red hot when I was there in early August. Red hot. Was it red hot because Matt Scurry hit you with the snap? <laughs> we were very far away. Dolphins practice. You have to sit up in the stands with the fans. Not not a good vantage point for what's going on down there. And that's coming from a guy who has to watch Soldier Field all twenty two every week. God, I know. You know what? That makes you better though. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It helps you grow. <laughs> Yeah, we learn about true. ourselves when we face adversity, Barnwell, and I face it every <laughs> single time I have to go back and watch the Bears. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. Yeah, Tua. I mean, it's it's got to be How are you feeling about Tua? I, oh boy. I, I am inclined to throw out last year except for one thing. And maybe this is me being naive. Maybe it's me not knowing the whole story. It's one quote. I don't want to take it too much out of context. But the quote about Tua not feeling like he was confident with the playbook that was concerning to me because like, it shouldn't I can, be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Why is that? Because they did nothing for him 
over the entire preseason and into when he was starting. They okay. did not shape things for him. He didn't get reps with the ones. Their offensive coordinator had no idea that they were going to replace their quarterback when they did. He had zero idea. He found out when everyone else found out. He was not part of that decision. They brought Tua in cold with absolutely no prep and no understanding of what they should do to shape the offense around him. Yeah, but when you're when you say I didn't know the playbook well, like I understand not getting reps with the ones. I understand being rusty. I understand what the play calling was pretty uh, was pretty bland for Tua, and that was clear in what we actually saw on a, a step-to-step basis. But like, I'm, I'm still a little concerned. I, I that wouldn't worry what me. You're saying. It really okay. wouldn't. Then, then I'm not concerned because to me, I think hip injury uh, coming off of a serious injury, the weirdest offseason in recent NFL history. Um, not a ton of weapons. Granted, Fitz looked they were better with Fitz than they did with Tua. Not a ton of weapons is still fair. In inconsistent offensive line, like like altogether, to me, I think not an ideal situation for a young quarterback to succeed. And if I if Tua struggles this year, then I'm concerned. But to me, I think I don't think I learned a lot about his pro viability from what I saw last year, for better or for worse. I agree with that. One note on the Dolphins' weapons. This is from the Football Outsiders Almanac, and I, I thought it was fantastic. Fitzpatrick and Tua were one two last year. In the percentage of man coverage that they faced, thirty nine percent of snaps for for Fitzpatrick, thirty eight percent for Tua. You think mm. other teams didn't respect the Dolphins' ability to get open? Mm. No, that, that no. is that is pure disrespect by playing that much man coverage. It is a slap in the face of your pass catchers. You you didn't have faith in uh, Isaiah Ford. Yeah, I was one really one. hoping or, you weren't going to be able to pull somebody out. Or, or uh, I can't think of it. He sound, his name sounds like an like an English lord. Durham Smith. Durham Smith. <laughs> Durham Smith. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Durham Smith was not uh, winning one on one. I don't think so. And, and that's obviously where it starts, right? His development combined with just the pure upgrades they made in their pass catching group. We haven't yeah. seen Devontae Parker, Will Fuller at all this preseason, and Tua has still looked good. And he has looked really good. Again, obviously, all the preseason caveats you want to throw out, to me, it's been the ball placement. I mean, the accuracy he's displayed consistently throughout these games at every level of the field. I mean, deep corner routes, you know, putting the ball in perfect spots for guys to make yak opportunities happen. I've been extremely impressed. And then some of the throws he's just let rip. I mean, the seam ball he had to Gasicki against Atlanta, that's impressive no matter who you're doing it against because it's the decision that you're making in real time. So I, I thought he's looked awesome. And we'll see what happens with their offensive line, but I'm more concerned about them at this point than I am about Tua. I agree. And, and I mean, like, Part of that is draft pedigree. Part of that is maybe just a little bias towards quarterbacks as opposed to offensive line. But like this was a guy who was incredible in in college, a guy who was a no doubt first overall pick until he suffered a serious hip injury. And Joe Burrow decided to have like the greatest season in the history of college football out of nowhere. Um, to to me, like I I think our our prior should be to a Tango Vilo is going to be a superstar until we have a significant body of evidence proving otherwise. And to me, I don't know if he'll ever be a superstar. You don't think he'll be a superstar. I don't know if he has the physical ability in a world where Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert exist to ever be one of the handful of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But I think he absolutely can be an above average to very good starter. 
weren't just telling me how he was ripping throws downfield and hitting every pass he possibly wanted it's, to hit? It's, it, it's a seam ball. I mean, it, it's there are throws that are off the table for Tua that are on the table for a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL. He's just not that physically gifted. He has a lot of things you can get excited about, but I don't think he has the overall talent to be one of the top like three or four guards. Superstar is just a little bit strong for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see. I think he I can, he could be a very good and competent point guard of this offense, is what I will say. Oh, boy. Okay, that's fine. I, I will say that is a stretch for this offensive line. <laughs> Being very good and competent? Yes. It's not, a, it's not a good situation. Right now, left to right, here's what we're looking at. Okay. Austin Jackson at left tackle, Solomon Kinley at left guard, Michael Dieter, the winner of the hotly contested center battle. Robert Hunt, who they drafted in the second round last year, moving to guard, and Jesse Davis, who I promised you the Dolphins brass when they started rebuilding this line two years ago, were not hoping that Jesse Davis would be the starting right tackle in September of 2021. But that's where sure. we are. They just traded for Greg Mance, who everybody's had Greg Mance. He's played for all the teams. That is the state of this offensive line right now. And they didn't they trade for uh, Greg Little as well? They did trade for Greg Little. That's right. I forgot about Greg Little. I think the Panthers also forgot about Greg Little, which is why they traded him for next to nothing to the Dolphins. Um, yeah, I mean, it's bad. Like, like there's no – I know Dolphins fans were trying to hype it up last year. And, I mean, there's some young players here. Like, I mean, I think every one of these guys is uh, in their – outside of Jesse Davis are in their second year or third year at most in the NFL. So, like, there's always a chance that the offensive line just takes a leap as a group. But it, it's hard to – Look at the sign and be like, okay, that's the guy I can rely upon to be even an above average player at this position. Like, there's always the possibility. There's still a lot of growth for these guys to do, but there's a chance they're starting five below average linemen. And I mean, Tua is mobile, I guess, but I don't want him running for his life uh, for 17 games this year. I don't think that's something that is conducive to his ability to develop as a quarterback. He got rid of the ball very quickly last year. I would assume he'll be able to do that again. That's one of his strengths, especially if they lean into the RPO game a little bit. Again, just let him play point guard. But the line is a concern. There's really no other way to slice it. Maybe, ask- the, like you said, those guys get better, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question about this offense? You certainly can. I, I spent like two hours trying to find this out today, and I've been thinking about it all, all summer. <laughs> what is this offense going to look like? Like, What is the scheme this offense is going to be running? I would assume it's heavily Patriots influenced. Yeah. With George Gotzi's background. He I was reading somewhere today, it's like they made the tight ends coach, the offensive coordinator. What does that mean? He's been a quarterback coach before in like multiple places. I mean, he was Bill O'Brien's quarterback's coach in Houston. He's not just a tight ends coach. He was Bill O'Brien's comes- OC for two years. Yeah, I mean, he comes from that world, and Studesville has done everything, right? So right. he was the uh, Broncos uh, running backs coach for, I want to say, seven years from 2010 to 2017. Before that, he was on several different staffs. But even if you look at that Broncos run, who are the head coaches from 2010 to 2017? Yeah, Josh McDaniel's in there. Vance Joseph is in there. Gary Kubiak is in there. So he's been exposed to a ton of different stuff. My assumption would be the baseline principles – of the pat of the drop back game are going to be Patriots heavy. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to lean very heavily into the RPO side because that's what he's comfortable with. And last year on a per clip basis, they were running them as often as any team in the league after Tua was inserted as the starter. Mm-hmm. So that would be my answer. 
Can I can I read you George Godsey's quarterbacks when he was the offensive coordinator under Bill O'Brien? And oh, you certainly can. Uh, it was Brock Osweiler. It was Brian Hoyer, another Patriots backup. Ryan Mallett, T.J. Yates, and Brandon Whedon were the quarterbacks who started games for George Godsey as the offensive coordinator. I think he was even briefly the play caller for the Houston Texans, if I'm not mistaken. Ryan Fitzpatrick will tell you that George Godsey altered the course of his career in a good way sure. by, by working with him during their their time in Houston. Just the, the all the details that go into that system. So he is very familiar and fluent in the way the Patriots want to play offense. So that's that's why in the back of my mind, it just seems like that would be the heavy influence they would lean into in the drop back game. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, there are plenty of good dudes and plenty of coaches who have worked with people and had success in the NFL. Some of them are not good offensive coordinators. And I, <laughs> I put it this way, like, Brian Dayball's development has been incredible over the past few years. Maybe that is what George Gatsi has done over the past few years as well. But I will believe this offense is well run and well coached and playing to the strengths of their players when I actually see it happen on a week-to-week basis in the NFL. Are you excited about the pass catchers, though? Of course I am. I mean, this I'm very is, excited about them. There's a I'm a big Wolf Fuller fan. I I know I don't I didn't say his nickname, which is when healthy. But Will Fuller was great last year. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited to see Jalen Waddle in the NFL. I think he's going to be a superstar. I, I, I think we're like Devontae Parker. Granted, has had one really good season in the NFL, but that was a pretty impressive season. I'm not a big Mike Kosicki guy, but I think that there's, there's plenty to like here, and I think that there's enough depth that. You know, you can lose one of them for weeks here or there and still be fine. Like, I, I think it's very unlikely they're going to have to run out replacement level wide receivers at any point during this season. And that's a huge advantage on a lot of other football teams. Yeah. And I think the pieces fit together. Like, Parker yeah. obviously is that big catch, big body, 50 50 guy down the field. Fuller can do a lot of stuff. I think last year was such a revelation for just seeing all the layers to his game because yeah. we had kind of pinned him as just this deep threat for most of his career last year he was a true number one guy I mean, he was fantastic at every single way and then waddle is whatever you want him to be i just think he's going to be mostly i don't say gadget in a pejorative way i think they're going to scheme up touches for him to get the ball in a variety of ways in a way that makes sense and is healthy for their young quarterback so i'm excited to see what it looks like again I, there's a lot of mystery like you mentioned about what it is going to look like in practice but i think that with those pass catchers and with some development from their quarterback it could be fun to watch mm-hmm. on defense. We kind of know what this team is, right? I mean, there's not a lot of mystery there. Like they ran man on 54% of their plays last season is the most in the league. They ran it half the time on early downs. No one else in the NFL was above 44%. We know what this team is. They want to be that deep versatile secondary that plays a lot of sticky man coverage. And up front, you never know who's coming and when. And not much has changed in that regard over the last couple of years. Yeah. I think your only concern here versus what you saw in 2020 is that Xavier Howard is a guy who is incredible when healthy, but has played 16 games twice in his pro career. He's missed nine games as a rookie, four games in 2018, 11 games in 2019. Um, I think some of those 11 games in 2019 were just because the Dolphins were tanking and Saving Howard, you didn't necessarily want to be a part of that, which I can't. General general soreness, the NP. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, Xavier Howard, by the numbers, his 10 interception season last year was 
the greatest season in terms of percentage of overall interceptions in the NFL. It was the most impressive season in terms of intercepting passes in the history of the National Football League. Uh, like, I, I don't think you can can sort of understate what a difference maker he is when he's on the field. And a guy who, you know, interceptions are very random from year to year. Like, he breaks that. He led the league in interceptions in 2018. He had four in 2017. Like, he is a freak when it comes to takeaways, and he's in a scheme where teams have to throw the ball in his direction. Yeah, they have no choice. <laughs> they have no choice. Um, and in a place where there's enough talent elsewhere on the field, uh, teams are going to have to throw his way sometimes. So to me, I think it's hard for me to imagine him having more of an impact than he did in 2020 in terms of staying healthy and in terms of creating takeaways. But like, there's every reason to believe otherwise that the Dolphins are going to do just fine when it comes to running that scheme and, and continue to... If not, maybe have a like top six upside just because they don't have that great pass rusher, at least be able to do what they are planning on doing on the defensive side of the ball at a high level. You'd hope that with Jalen Phillips there now and with the way they play on defense, I mean, think about how they schemed up Emmanuel Ogba for so many free rusher sacks last year and pressures. I mean, they do such a good job of just creating confusion up front that the hope is they can survive without a 12-15 sack guy. And we'll see what that looks like when it actually happens. But that's obviously their plan. And then in the back end, they just got deeper over the last year, right? Yeah. I mean, now it's instead of just Nick Needham in the slot, it's Justin Coleman or Nick Needham. You have Jason McCourty now as one of your safeties to give you a little bit more flexibility back there. What does Javon Holland give them their second round pick from the time he gets to play? Do we see more three safety looks because he's there and they have McCourty and Eric Rowe. It's the type of flexibility that they cultivate in New England and that they're after here. It's no coincidence that several of these guys, Rowe, McCourty, Coleman, come from New England. I mean, it's the exact same DNA that they're after on the back end. You don't credit the Detroit influence from Matt Patricia? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, like they're going to have so many options with how they want to pursue their secondary. Like it's almost the opposite of what the Patriots have, right? Where the Patriots are so great up front, have so many varieties of what they want to do up front. And then the secondary is kind of like, well, you have to kind of count on the guys who are healthy to play there and stay healthy. It's the opposite here. And I don't know which one is better. I know that there are research that says that you want to build through the secondary. I think that's fine. I've seen teams win with a great front four, but you want to be great at something. And I think the Dolphins had the opportunity to be great in the secondary again. It's interesting. I was talking to a coach on their staff when I was down there and just asking him how you get comfortable when teams know what you're going to do in certain situations. The Dolphins played man on 70% of their third down snaps last year, which is by far the highest rate in the league. And there are different variations of man coverage, obviously. But when teams know you're going to play man, how do you keep teams off balance? And for them, the confusion comes with the fronts. That's how they make teams uncomfortable. And if, even if you know you're going to play man coverage, if you don't know who's coming toward the quarterback and that quarterback has to just hitch it one more time than he wants to, it's a sack and the play is over. And that's what they're trying to lean into. And it works for them. I mean, they we'll see if they have enough guys up front, but I do believe that their current construction allows them to play the way that they want to play and do it really well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. One guy on the Dolphins that you cannot wait to watch this year. Ooh, I would say Jalen Waddell. He's mine too. 
Sorry. Oh, well, that's not that exciting. I mean, I mean like, come I, on. You have a top I, six pick who runs a 4-3-40, and it was the most explosive player in college football last year. Okay, let me ask you this. Of the first-round wide receivers, I'll, I'll make it a broader question. We'll keep it interesting for the listeners. Of the broader list of first-round wide receivers, who will have the biggest impact in 2021? So, how how do you find, define biggest impact? Like, like just at the end of the season. Like, I'm not concerned about someone having a hundred more receiving yards here or there, but like at the end of the year, who do you think is the the player where we're like we should have been talking about him the most before the season? Whether it's Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, Kadarius. It's not going to be Kadarius Tony, but Kadarius Tony or Rashad Bateman. I would have said Rashad Bateman before the injury. Interesting. I think really? it's tough. Yeah, knowing, I think knowing he was with the Ravens. Now. Yeah, because if, if it's a guy we're going to be talking about, let's say even if Rashad Bateman had seventy catches for a thousand yards and he didn't have the biggest production in that Ravens offense where they don't throw mm-hmm. the ball often enough, I could see him looking the best of that group. Oh, I, I say Devontae Smith. I think Devontae Smith is probably a good answer because he's like the number one receiver there from day one. I mean, he's just going to get so much work, and we also like him as a player. So I think that's good. I think that makes sense to me. I think Devontae Smith is going to be a folk hero in Philadelphia. By My the only end concern is how good their passing game looks. And if people can get him the ball. That's my only worry. If you got a dude who can go to the house, it's you don't have you know, you you want your guys to get the ball, but I feel like he can do a lot with the ball in his hands as well. All right. Biggest X factor on the Dolphins this year. I would go Jesse Davis. I would say that if they can Jesse Davis, by the way, is protecting Tua's blind side because Tua is left handed. Um that is I didn't even a, think about that. That's a big ask. Again, for a guy who was you know, maybe he is a utility lineman. I think a lot of teams would not see him as an average right tackle or even a maybe even not even below average right tackle. Um, but the guy who the Dolphins have believed in, a guy they kept around year after year, part of that has been just sort of out of sheer desperation. But like, I, I think if he's not up to the task, the Dolphins can't hit the ceiling. I think they have when you look at their receiving core and you look at to his upside heading into year two. I picked the other tackle with a similar thought process in mind. Vines Austin Jackson, the guy they picked in the first round last year. Can they get more out of him? Can he be a viable starting left tackle for them, considering what they spent on him and just the overall investment they've made in the offensive line? Because I think that's a huge storyline for this team. Mm-hmm. All right. Our last team here, the New York Jets. Where do you want to start? I think the only place to really start is with Zach Wilson, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the fun place to start, right? <laughs> To me, all of their moves this offseason on offense make sense. The way that they've built around him, the pieces that they've put around him, the way those guys fit in the system. And so far, he's looked pretty sharp. I mean, if you're going to build around a young quarterback, I think they've done it in the way I would want to see a team do it. We can quibble about the value with the Vera Tucker trade, which I totally understand. But I do think that they've gone about this the right way. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're done. Like, I don't think... Oh no! We're going to be. I don't think we're going to be <laughs> sitting here it. next offseason. This off is a season. Super Bowl caliber offense. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't think it's like we're going to be sitting here next offseason. Like, oh, the Jets don't have to add any more pieces. But I think they've done fine in terms of adding plenty of stuff for Zach Wilson to work with. I mean, they're. I I, I don't know if Corey Davis is going to be a number one wide receiver. I don't think that's. 
I don't think you can rule that out. I certainly think he has the size and athleticism to pull it off. He was not that guy in Tennessee, but he looked great last year, I thought. Um, and, you know, Elijah Moore is someone who has gotten a ton of hype this year in camp. Jamison Crowder is a very useful slot. I like Keelan Cole. I think he's been underrated over the course of his career. They just traded away Chris Herndon. I think tight end is a, a question mark, but Ryan Griffin is someone who, you know, was pretty good when Herndon was hurt, I think, in 2019. Um, you know, even Trevon Wesco makes sense on this team with the way they want to play. That that just feels like like NFL hipster stuff. Like you just want to name Trevon Wesco. Like you, he's that weird hybrid player where they can play twenty one personnel and put him on the field. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. That so you're saying he's Kyle Juszczyk basically in this offense. That's what they're looking to do with him. Exactly. I mean, I'd rather have him than Kyle Juszczyk at six million dollars a year. But that's another conversation for another podcast. No, I mean like like this offense. I think there's hope, and with the Jets' offenses. Under Sam Darnold, even before those seasons, there was not much hope to work with with the pieces around him. Like when you're paying Le'Veon Bell twelve million dollars a year, whatever they were paying him, like it's easy to see through that. That's why I can understand the move to go get Vera Tucker, just to say we're not going to make the same mistake again. We're going to have a left tackle we picked in the top ten. We're going to go get a starting guard, and they sign Morgan Moses. It's like even if we have to overpay, we are not going to allow this guy to flounder and put a shitty offensive line in front of him. I would not have done it. But I think there are worse things they could have done. Yeah, I understand the decision. That's how I would frame it. The Corey Davis contract reminds me, it's a little bit more expensive, but it kind of reminds me of what the Lions did with Marvin Jones, Mm -hmm. where he was a number two. They signed him to a reasonable free agent deal. He was the best receiver on their team. And the hope is eventually that he's like a supercharged number two guy. And I think that would ultimately be the end game with Corey Davis. And you know what one of the good things is about this is that I think it's one thing when you're taking a number two guy from an offense and you're making him a number one in a totally different offense. To me, I think this Jets offense looks very similar to what we saw in Tennessee. Now, granted, no Derrick Henry, but in terms of the, the general concepts, in terms of the shot plays, like I think Corey Davis is not going to be in all that different of an offense than what he was playing in in Tennessee. So I think the... You know, You're asking the, him to do very similar things. Right. The interpretation is not all that much different from what you saw from him on film his final year with the Titans. Yeah, And I think that if you look at what he's being asked to do, what their running game is going to look like with John Benton, who was the offensive line coach for the Niners over the last several years, and Michael Fleur knows that system inside and out based on his time with Kyle Shanahan, I'm excited to watch it. I don't know how good it's going to be from day one, but the pieces fit together in the right way for me. I think it's going to be an entertaining group, even if there are some fits and starts. I think there will be fits and starts. I, but, but I agree. I mean, I think that there's going to be games where the Jets look really exciting on offense. I don't know if there's going to be like six of them. It might be like two or three. <laughs> but like, like if, it, if it's two or three, it's kind of like, yeah, that wasn't that exciting. If there's five or six, I, I'd be pretty optimistic about year two. And I mean... You know, that's the famous, oh, year two in the Kyle Shanahan scheme and or the Gary Kubiak scheme, and that's going to take, you know, I think it's more about what happens next year with Zach Wilson than this year, but I think if he's healthy, I think if he is showing signs of promise in year one, like, I would feel pretty good if I were the Jets. He's looked like you want him to look in the preseason. You can't read too much into it, but he's shown off a lot of the same qualities that would make you excited about him as a college prospect, which that's all you can do to this day at this point of the season on September 1st. 
I appreciate that you framed it with you can't read too much into it. And you you didn't make a broad proclamation, but I feel like 50% of preseason tweets are you can't read much into it, but I think this guy is going to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> you can't read too much into it, but he looks like I thought he might look is, is as yes. far as I'll go with Zach Wilson. Yes, I, and that's fine. Like, again, he doesn't have to be, you know, an overnight superstar quarterback. I think you just want to see... I think you want to see development. I think you want to see him improve as the year goes on. I think you want to see flashes of, you know, I can take over this game from him. And I think you want to see more than anything him stay on the football field. And I think that, again, because of the pieces the Jets have added, he has a better shot of doing that than Sam Darnold did during his three seasons with the Jets. Or a lot of guys drafted in the top two or a top five. I mean, they've sure. really made a conscious effort to improve the infrastructure in ways that are difficult when you're picking that high in the draft because usually your team is garbage. The state of the defense to me is much more in flux. It's going to be a work in progress, especially after losing Carl Lawson. They lost Carl Lawson and traded for Shaq Lawson. I, I think they downgraded in their Lawsons. Yes, I, I, I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, I mean, like Shaq Lawson is not going to be your uh, Leo pass rusher. It's just not what he's good at. And there's no one, to me at least on this roster, unless someone comes out of nowhere who's going to be like an eight sack a year guy on the edge and losing Vinny Curry too is brutal. I mean, yeah. just every single dice roll they took on the defensive line on the edge it has gone wrong for them. And when you consider the type of edge talent that Robert Sala has been working with for the last couple of years, this is a rude awakening. Yes. But what I will say is this, I mean, I, the jets are not going to be good on defense this year. I don't want to put that out there. I think they're going to be a bottom eight defense, but Robert Sala gets a ton of credit for or, or that credit he doesn't get criticized but i think you have to bring it up he was great over the last couple of years but yes he was great with incredible talent on the defensive side of the ball and that is true but niners ranked i think 26 in defensive games lost or defensive defensive adjusted games lost i came up with the damn stat i should remember the name of it defensive agl <laughs> in 2019 they were last in 2020 and i mean everyone who was pretty significant got hurt i mean this was a team that last year did not have nick bosa did not have richard sherman Pretty much everyone in the secondary got hurt besides Jason Verrett, which is the weirdest thing that happened to anybody in 2020. Um, DeForest Buckner got traded. Art Eric Armstead wasn't the same guy. Like, he did not. He had one hand tied behind his back for most of the year. And the Niners, I think, were still ninth in DVOA last year in defense. Like, it was a really impressive showing. I mean, I don't think he's simply a product of their talent. But up front, it's a very different change. It's a huge change. Of course it is. But, but I, I think that that criticism of him... I think is more unfair. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but I think it's a more unfair criticism than should actually be borne out by what happens on a week to week basis when it came to that defense. Because he did not have all those guys every single week. And when they did, that defense was incredible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a buzzsaw. I mean, it was miserable to play against. But, but and- this defense is going to suck. <laughs> so, where are the biggest holes? Let's look at it. Obviously, edge rusher is a huge concern now. You have Shaq Lawson and I think kind of an out of place John Franklin Myers on the other side. I mean, the interior guys with Quentin Williams and some combination of Sheldon Rankins, Ronald Blair, those type of guys, I think they'll be fine. I think Quentin Williams in this defense is going to be excellent. But on the edge, it's much more of a concern. And then corner is, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Just kind of throw your hands up and pray. I, I mean, you're hoping that he develops a couple of starting corners from this bunch. And hey, like... He learned from Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is the master of developing cornerbacks, so maybe he'll 
pick it up. But like, again, they're a team that I think it wouldn't be shocking if they had guys starting by the end of the year who are not on the roster right now. And that's, it's a big drop off coming from the Dolphins where their third string corners might be better than the Jets starting corners heading into the season. I will say, I'm curious to see what the safety group looks like with Marcus Joyner and Marcus May playing back there. I think that duo could be pretty good. Okay, so can I... I understand you have a hardcore listener fan base. I know that people are smart. Can we just rehash the LaMarcus Joyner story? We cer- we certainly can, because I know you love it. I, I cause It's just like how stupid the NFL is. Like, and, and how... How hard it is, or how easy it is just to not do dumb things. So the Rams drafted Marcus Joyner. He's good at multiple spots in college. They, they play at multiple spots his first years in the NFL, and he's not very good. I think he was a second-round pick. Wade Phillips gets to the Rams, and he says, LaMarcus Joyner, you are going to be a free safety. And LaMarcus Joyner is a great free safety. He is awesome for two years, I believe, with the Rams. Justifiably franchise-tagged. Franchise-tagged is very good. Gets a big contract from the Oakland Raiders, who were not good at anything on defense. They had holes everywhere. The Raiders immediately move LaMarcus Joyner to slot corner, where he struggles for his first year. And that might lead you to believe the Raiders would move him to free safety in his second season. They did not. They were almost like, and like, they were almost angry at people for suggesting that they should move LaMarcus Joyner to free safety. He was bad in the second season, got benched, and was cut. Now he's signing with the Jets, and guess what? He's moving back to free safety, and I think he's going to be pretty good there. Like, it's just, this stuff is hard enough as is. So when you're making really obvious mistakes, just don't do that. Play the player who has been good at one spot as a pro in the one spot where he was good. Maybe it won't work out, but at least there's a logic behind that that I can appreciate. I'm excited to watch them. I think those guys will be fairly interchangeable in the way they're going to ask them to play, but moving him to a pure safety role again is probably the right choice. I also like Jeff Ulbrich, the guy they hired as their defensive coordinator. I thought that he did a underrated job with the Falcons defense when given the chance to take that over with Raheem Morris over the last year or so, considering the lack of talent they had on that side of the ball. So him and Salah and that group, I'm looking forward to what they can do, even if the talent is deficient, let's say. Do you know where the Falcons finished in DVOA last year? On defense. Like middle of the pack, right? They were 15. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, I, I, it's very impressive. <laughs> if, if I had to guess, I would have guessed like 25. So I'm, they were 14th, excuse me. The only reason I knew they were higher than that is because I remember thinking, oh man, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's impressive. So to me, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about this defense in the long term. But again, like three years from now, when I think the Jets are hopefully going to be competing for playoff spots and, you know, trying to be one of the better teams in the AFC. Like how many guys do you think from this lineup are going to be on that roster? Two, three. I'm actually trying to think about it. Williams, you'd figure. Williams, hopefully Carl Lawson when he comes back. Maybe Marcus May, but who knows? He's a free agent after this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would set the over under at at two and a half. It's always good. That's where you that's, want to start. But you know, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, also, by the way, is it weird that like C.J. Mosley is coming back after basically missing two years of football? It is weird. Yeah, when I saw him at Jets camp, I was like, oh yeah, that's right, C.J. Mosley's on this team. Like C.J. Mosley, you know, great with the Ravens, gets a 
astronomical. Like, that's, exactly the, that's exactly the adjective I was going to use. Just, just like an absurd contract from the Jets. He is on the field week one against the Bills. He has a pick six. He looks awesome. He injures his groin. He gets off the field. The Jets immediately blow their lead and lose the game. He's out for like six weeks. He comes back. He can barely run. He re-injures the groin. He's out for the rest of the season. And then he opts out of the 2020 season. He has not played basically in two years. I mean, I I don't know what to expect from him. He was obviously great in Baltimore. I hope he's that guy again because it'd be fun to watch. But I, I think you have to treat that as like a anything we get is a positive situation. I was a little bummed that Jared Davis got hurt because I, I love football experiments where you take a guy who looked really bad in one situation, you put him into a better situation and just see what happens. Like if they could have revived his career after the way that it went in Detroit, I would have been highly entertained by that. And unfortunately, he's going to miss some time at the beginning of the season, which is a bummer. Out for two months. Um, that is one of the worst contracts in football, the the Gerard Davis deal. But you know what? Let's give the Jets a break. I, I think that this is going to be a team that's going to play a lot of shootouts this year. Might even win a couple, but um, I, I think this is obviously a, you know, a, a let's take stock of what we have at the end of the year and see who we can take to 2022. And I think that's the first year you're sort of hoping that you can more seriously contend for maybe the seventh seed in the AFC. I'm really excited about Robert Sala as a head coach. Everything yeah. that we've heard about him and just everything that people have said to me about him, he clearly just has, I don't know. He's got the right makeup for this. And he's not like a rah-rah guy. I mean, I think he's sometimes categorized he's, as that. And he's really not. I mean, he's like a thoughtful, smart NFL coach that I think could do a really good job with this franchise. I think he's a thoughtful, smart coach who for 60 minutes on Sunday is the most rah-rah guy I've ever seen on a sideline. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't know that but I totally agree. During practice, he is sure. very quiet, which I was surprised by. I mean, he's just kind of observing things. and it, it, On the sideline, he's completely over the edge (laughs) on a day-to-day basis it doesn't seem like that all right final two here who is one guy in the jets that you cannot wait to watch in 2021 i think after all the hype it's elijah moore right like i would have gone with carl lawson but now i'm going with elijah moore yeah i mean like i i would have been excited for carl lawson but i think i love carl lawson a more spotlight on carl lawson is something i was very excited about this season yes happy he got paid deserved to get paid it's a bummer what happened but yeah, I think Elijah Moore, you know, I think the question is, can are, are, are they set one to it receiver with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore? And I don't think you have to know that answer by the end of the year, but if he has a you know phenomenal rookie season and you know by the end of the year, all the better. Um, certainly, it seems like, given the hype, given what we've heard from preseason, it seems like that's not out of the realm of possibility. Who is your biggest X factor on the Jets? Oh, I don't. Oh boy, I did not write this down. Um, biggest X factor, I would say CJ Mosley, because I have no idea what they're going to get from him, and he's not going to fix the secondary. But at least, like, if he's a solid player, if he's an above-average player after two years out, at least that solves one of the ten, like nine or ten holes in this defense <laughs> for the twenty twenty season, twenty twenty one season. I went with Becton. If he can be like a top flight left tackle for them and take that step, what it could mean for their offense. Because I, all I can think about in terms of what his ceiling could be is what Trent Williams was for the Niners last year. Just that weapon in the run game. Those guys that are just built in a different way than most people we've ever seen play that position. And that's what Mekhi Becton is. 
And if they can use him in that role with how varied and, and kind of explosive that run game looks for the Niners, I think that could be really cool to watch. I, I don't think he's Trent Williams, but do you think he's a top eight left tackle already? I'd have to think about it. That seems high at first blush, but I, I it, you may be right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying I, I think that that's you could hold that opinion, and I would not think you were an idiot if you did. I want to see how far he can go and how high he can go. I guess that's my question. Well, I mean, he is like like an absolute freak athlete. So, and he's I, like I 21 think, years old. Yeah, like if you're if you're wondering about, well, maybe see how far he can go. Like his upside is Hall of Fame left tackle. So that's not that's kind of what I mean. That's kind of what I mean. All right, buddy. That's all we got. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you guys for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. We have so much great stuff. There's going to be tons of coverage on Cutdown Day. You cannot follow the league without an athletic subscription. It is true, and especially in weeks like this. So please go check yours out, theathletic.com slash football show. We will be back tomorrow doing the NFC South with my friend Mina Kimes. Until then, thank you guys for listening, and thank you for coming, Barnwell. Always appreciate you doing this. What's the best six hours of radio I've done today? (laughs) All right. See you guys. This was the Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans. This is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.